Many years ago in a land called Canaan, there lived a man named Jacob who the Lord called Israel. Jacob had 12 sons. Not surprisingly, there was rivalry among them. But Joseph was his father's favorite. Jacob loved Joseph, the second youngest, more than all the other children, and he made it no secret. By the time Joseph was 17, there was plenty of tension in the household when Jacob gave Joseph an extravagant gift, a coat of many colors. When his brothers saw this, they hated Joseph, and from that point on would not be civil to him. Now, Joseph had unusual dreams, which only caused his brothers to hate him more. Listen to this dream I had, he, he told them. We were all out gathering our grain in the fields and binding our grain into sheaves. And my sheaf was stunning. And, and get this, your sheaves all came and bowed down to it. His brother said, what's that supposed to mean? You trying to tell us you're better than us? And they were furious. Joseph had another dream that he told his brother Brothers and, and his, his fathers. Father. In my dream, I saw the, the sun and the moon and 11 stars, and they all came and bowed down to me. His father reprimanded him, Are you serious? Do you, you really think we are all are going to come and bow down to you? And even though he rebuked him, Jacob wondered about his dream. One day the brothers took the family flocks to the pasture, and Israel told Joseph, Go and check on your brothers for me. I will, said Joseph. While Joseph was still a distance off, his brothers saw him coming, and their anger boiled over. Here he comes, they said, the favorite, the dreamer. Let's get rid of him while we have the chance. If we kill him, we, we can blame a wild animal that, that did it. We're tired of hearing his dreams. But Reuben, the eldest, dissuaded them from killing him. Let's just throw him in a pit, he suggested. Reuben was thinking that he could gain his father's uh, uh, gratitude if he rescued Joseph later. When Joseph came near, his own brothers attacked him, stripped him of his robe, and threw him in the pit. And then they sat down nearby, had some lunch. While they looked up, they saw a caravan approaching of Ishmaelites on their way to Egypt. You know, there's no profit in killing him, said Judah while he saw the caravan approach. But if we sell him, well, technically his, his blood won't be on our hands. And his brothers listened to him. So as the caravan passed by, they, they pulled Joseph up out of the pit and sold them to the slave traders for 20 pieces of silver. Reuben tore his clothes and says, What have you done? Dad's going to blame me for this, you know. They took Joseph's robe and they slaughtered a goat and they soaked the robe in the animal's blood and brought it home to Jacob. Look what we found, they said. Whatever could this mean? My son's robe, said Jacob. Joseph must be dead. And Jacob mourned deeply. And all his family tried to comfort him, but he would not be comforted. Meanwhile, the slave traders brought 
Joseph to Egypt, and they sold him to an officer of the Pharaoh named Potiphar. Now, despite the situation, the Lord was with Joseph, and he soon found favor with his master. Whatever he did succeeded, and he very quickly found his way to a high position in the household. God blessed Potiphar's household because of Joseph, and Potiphar became very wealthy. Potiphar's wife noticed Joseph, too, and she began to seek him out and watch him and try to get his attention. Come, she said one day, come to my bed. No one will know. But Joseph refused and backed away and said, I couldn't do that to my master or before my God. And after that, Joseph tried to avoid Potiphar's wife, but she just sought him out all the more. She made an an approach again and again until finally she, she found him alone and came close to him and grabbed him by the robe and said, lie with me. Joseph took a breath and and he ran. He fled from that household, leaving his outer robe in her hands. Furious at this rejection, Potiphar's wife called out loudly to the men in the household, Help! Help! That slave, Joseph, he came to my chambers and he tried to force himself on me. See? He left his robe. Potiphar was livid. How could you do this to me when I trusted you, he demanded of Joseph. And that very day, Joseph went from, from holding a high position in a fine home to being thrown in a prison. He had no say, no trial, and no way out. But the God of Israel loved Joseph steadfastly. And even in jail, Joseph was was admired by the, uh, respected by by the, the keeper and his fellow prisoners. And he soon found himself in a position of authority even there. Because whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. What a story, right? Sibling rivalry, a father who plays favorites, a kid brother who's too big for his britches, jealousy, conspiracy, seduction, betrayal. It reads like the pitch for a Netflix series. We think rags to riches is a good story. How about riches to rags to riches to rags to riches? And we're still only halfway through this story. But that's the Old Testament for you. It's gritty. It's real. It's messy. There are no easy answers here. No, the moral of the story is. Sometimes we we read these stories and we end up with more questions than answers. And yet somehow, God is there. God is present through all of it. God with us. It's one of the great declarations of the Bible. And yet there are times in life when it sure doesn't feel like God is with us. It doesn't look like God is with us. When things go wrong, when our family lets us down, when when the system lets us down, when we're toiling away in obscurity, wondering if anybody notices, wondering if God even knows where we are or has any use for us. 
It's a question we could easily be asking in 2020. With all the bad things that are happening in the world, can we really believe that, that God is with us? Then why are all these things happening? A global pandemic, political and racial unrest, financial crisis, record levels of, of anxiety and depression and loneliness and, and, and fear. If God is with us, where is he? And what is he doing? I don't know about you, but I'll have to confess that I, I'm having a harder time sensing God's presence lately. Maybe it's uh, the fact that, uh, that my weekly rhythm, rhythm is all thrown off. All the normal times and places I, I, I experience God's presence, they're just, they're just disrupted now. Maybe it's the false start I've had with some new devotionals I've been trying out that just haven't been working for me. Maybe it's the fact that, like you, I haven't been in church in months. No singing and praying and celebrating and being, being encouraged by God's people. A good friend of mine from another part of the country will sometimes send me a text while he's having his morning quiet time with the Lord. Here's one from a few days ago. Today I heard God tell me to slow down and savor all that he has for me today. The Lord is with us. Man, I'm praying that we will walk with open eyes today, that we will fully experience every moment with him. Now, my friend is clearly sensing God's presence, and I'm glad. And I'm glad I get those texts to remind me of times in life when I have sensed God's presence like that. This just doesn't happen to be one of those times. Now, I don't know what your experience with God has been like lately, but whether now or in the past, we've all come to moments in life, seasons of our lives, when we've wondered, is God really with us? And if he is, where is he? And what's he doing? I think there are times we could all put a question mark behind that great declaration. God with us? Really? How would we know? So that's what we'd like to explore in this summer series on the life of Joseph, a man who, as we just heard, had plenty of reasons to wonder if God was really with him. We're going to take a big look today, a big picture look today at those first few chapters, and in the coming weeks we'll zero in a little more closely. Today we'd like to consider what it means for God to be with us when life goes wrong, when things don't, don't go the way they're supposed to go, the way we were hoping they would go. And I'd like to begin by identifying three reasons that life didn't go well for Joseph and, and three reasons that life sometimes goes wrong for us too. So the first reason life often goes wrong is, has to do with our own foolishness. Our own foolishness. Let me just set the scene for a minute here. Genesis is the book of beginnings. The beginning of the universe, the beginning of humanity, and the beginning of the nation of Israel. And so Joseph's story actually begins there, back in Genesis chapter 12, where God makes a covenant with, with a man named Abraham and his wife Sarah. He promises to bless them with many descendants and to raise up through them a whole nation of people through whom he will bless the world. 
And so Joseph represents the fourth generation in that chosen family, a direct descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, we'll talk more about Joseph's dysfunctional family life next week. But enough for now to point out that Joseph is Jacob's favorite son by his favorite wife. Now, if you're listening carefully, there are two things wrong with that sentence, favorite son and favorite wife. This doting father makes a show of his favoritism by bestowing on Joseph this coat of many colors, as we call it. And, 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 and in my imagination, I can still see my Sunday school teacher's flannel graph image of that many-colored coat. That favoritism didn't sit well with Joseph's brothers, especially since Joseph was next to youngest of the 12 of them. But it turns out Joseph wasn't just the innocent recipient of this favoritism. Listen again to verse 2. We're told that Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, and he brought their father a bad report about them. It sounds to me like Joseph was a tattletale. That's not to say their brothers didn't deserve a bad report. Maybe they did, but no one likes a tattletale. And as if that wasn't bad enough, Joseph has these dreams, dreams of his brothers and his father someday bowing down to him. And he unabashedly brags about these dreams to his family. Now, now keep in mind, Joseph, Joseph isn't a child anymore. He's 17 years old. He's fully aware of the tension in the family over his favored status. So whether it was arrogance on his part or just naivete, either way, it was foolish and it was hurtful. Something's gone wrong in this family and it's going to get worse. And Joseph, by his own foolishness, has contributed to it. So sometimes life goes wrong because of our own foolishness, our bad decisions, our bad habits, careless words or actions. We, we work too hard and we neglect our family or our health. We work too little and, and we fail to provide or to reach our potential. When I think back on seasons of dysfunction or disruption in my own family life, it often has to do with something I said or did or something I failed to say or do. And so sometimes life goes wrong because of our own foolishness. But sometimes it goes wrong because of other people's wickedness, other people's wickedness. I mean, the brothers certainly bear some of the blame here. Scripture puts it pretty bluntly. They hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now, hate is a pretty strong word, but it's used twice to describe the brother's feelings toward Joseph. And so when, when his father sends Joseph out to look for them, they see him coming in the distance. And, and they said, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him in a cistern, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. This is their brother they're talking about, their own flesh and blood, and they know it's going to break their father's heart. 
But they do it anyway. They strip him of, of his coat. They, they throw him into an empty pit to die. But, but then, at the last minute, they sort of change their mind and, and end up selling him to a passing caravan, figuring they might as well make some money on the deal. And then, oddly, they sit down to have some sandwiches. This isn't just foolishness. This is wickedness. And don't miss the fact that there is not one mention of God in Genesis chapter 37. All kinds of bad things are happening, and it looks for all the world as though God is nowhere to be found. And as Joseph is tied to a cart and hauled off to Egypt, he had to be wondering why the God of his ancestors, the God who was with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, why that same God had somehow abandoned him. So sometimes other people's wickedness can cause us to, to wonder if God is really with us. We watch the news and, and we wonder how God can allow human beings to, to do such awful things to each other. I lost track this week of of how many shootings and stabbings there were across our country and right here in our own city. We talked about the hatred that Joseph's brothers had toward him. Did you know that there are 940 hate groups in the United States dedicated to the idea of hating a particular group of people? Maybe you've been the victim of other people's wickedness. Maybe you've suffered hatred or, or rejection or abuse or neglect or, or discrimination. You, you can't blame someone for wondering if God is with them when so many bad things have happened to them. And so our own foolishness, other people's wickedness, and then sometimes the world's brokenness is, is, is the reason things go wrong. Because of human foolishness and human wickedness, the systems and structures that, that govern life and people can often go wrong, become broken, become dysfunctional and unjust. And there's all kinds of brokenness right here in this story. For one thing, Joseph was sold into slavery. Now, when human beings are bought and sold like pieces of property, when they are worked and treated like beasts of burden, something has gone terribly wrong in that society. Now, Joseph lands in the household of an Egyptian officer. And in the beginning, he does well for himself, distinguishing himself by his, by his hard work and by his integrity. In fact, for the very first time in the story, we're told that the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. The Lord gave him success in everything he did. Potiphar put him in charge of his household. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. That's more like it, Joseph must have thought. Maybe God is, is with him after all. But then things went wrong again. Potiphar's wife, who, who, by the way, was likely one of Potiphar's many wives, and who likely had 
suffered many of the indignities experienced by women commonly at that time. She tries to seduce Joseph. And even though he did the right thing and fended off her advances, he's falsely accused, wrongfully convicted, and thrown into prison. Now, we'll talk more about this episode in a couple of weeks, but enough for now to point out that when lies win the day, when good deeds are punished, when people in power abuse their power, when innocent people are thrown into prison, something is broken. And there's plenty of brokenness in our world today. I don't think I need to chronicle it all for you. And maybe life has gone wrong for you in part because of the world's brokenness. Maybe you've been mistreated or or your opportunity's been limited because of your race or your gender or your status or your age or your country of origin or your abilities. If it hasn't happened to you, then it surely happened to those around you. And it can be hard sometimes to believe that God is with us when the world is so broken and doesn't seem to be getting any better. So, as we said, what a story, right? I mean, so far, Joseph has been hated, betrayed, shoved into a pit, sold into slavery, falsely accused, and thrown into prison. His life began with such promise, but everything has gone wrong. It's hard to imagine anything good coming from all of it. And it must have been hard for Joseph to imagine that God was somehow with him when all these bad things had happened. But let's try something here. I'm guessing that some of you got to watch Hamilton on TV uh, a week or so ago. I did, and it, it, it's a great show. I, I won't spoil it for you, but there's, a, there's an interesting scene right at the center of the story. Hamilton attends a ball where he meets the Schuyler sisters, Angelica, Eliza, and Peggy. Eliza immediately falls for Hamilton. It's love at first sight. And so big sister Angelica happily introduces them to one another and then smiles as Eliza and Hamilton fall into each other's arms and and dance their way around the ballroom. It's a happy scene. But then suddenly in the production, the music stops. The dancing stops. And it begins to go backwards, as as if time itself is is being rewound. And we end up watching the same scene again, only this time we watch it through Angelica's perspective. And we learn that a very different story is playing out in her experience. Now again, I won't spoil it for you, but let's come back to this story. Let's rewind the story we've just been told in Genesis 37 and 39. But this time, let's experience it not from Joseph's perspective, but from God's perspective. 
begins like this. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, in the land of Canaan. Now, Canaan is the land that God had promised to, to Abraham generations earlier. So right from the beginning, before, before Joseph even appears on the scene, we see that God is already at work behind the scenes, advancing his purpose for this family and for the world. And then there are those dreams, dreams of greatness, of leadership, sheaves of grain bowing down to Joseph. Could it be that God was speaking to Joseph through those dreams, giving him a vision of what his life could and would be? And then there's this little detail in the story that we actually skipped over in our retelling of it, frankly, because I thought it wasn't important. (laughs) When Joseph went off to check on his brothers as his father had asked, at first he couldn't find them until he just happened to bump into a stranger in the wilderness who just happened to know exactly where his brothers were. So it turns out that little detail is put there on purpose by the storyteller to remind us that that God is there in the shadows, making sure that Joseph finds his way to his brothers. And then there's the fact that the brothers' original plan to kill Joseph somehow got overturned at the last minute. They decided to throw him in a pit instead. And because they oddly decided to have lunch at that very moment, they just happened to still be there when a caravan just happened to pass by, a caravan that just happened to be on its way to Egypt. Again, the storyteller's letting us know that that God is at work behind the scenes, that he is sparing Joseph's life. He's getting him to Egypt. And so Joseph is sold into slavery, but he lands in the household of a ranking Egyptian official where he's able to hone his management skills and, and get comfortable with all the ways of Egyptian aristocracy. And when a powerful woman invites him to sleep with him, It's Joseph's loyalty to God that helps him to resist that temptation. And when he's accused of a shameful crime against a government official, instead of being executed on the spot, he's thrown into prison instead. And not just any prison, but the king's prison, where connections can be made, where his skill and character are noticed and ultimately rewarded. And so while from Joseph's perspective, everything was going wrong, from God's perspective, everything is falling into place. He is working through and in everything that's happening, preparing and positioning Joseph to one day bring blessing not only to his family, but but to the nation and, and to the wider world. Now, does that mean God caused his brothers to hate him and mistreat him? No. God doesn't tempt people to evil. Did God want Joseph to be an obnoxious little brother and brag about his dreams? I don't think so. Those dreams were given for him. They weren't meant to be shared with the family. Was God okay with 
with the family dysfunction, with human trafficking, with a miscarriage of justice. Of course not. None of those things are what God has in mind for human beings and human society. Now, did God allow those things to happen? Yes, he did. Because God grants human beings freedom. We're free to go our own way, to make our own way in this world. We can follow his ways or not. We can do good or we can do evil. We can be wise or we can be foolish. And when we don't handle those freedoms well, things go wrong. They go wrong for us, they go wrong for others, and they go wrong for the world. But God is able to work in and through and around those things to accomplish his purposes. He is able to to bless the good things that we do so that they lead to even greater blessing for the world around us. And he's able to take the foolishness and the wickedness and the brokenness and to turn it into goodness and righteousness and blessing. So, did all these bad things have to happen? Of course not. God could have and would have been delighted to bring his purposes to pass without all this foolishness and wickedness and brokenness. But he wasn't going to let those things stop him from accomplishing his purposes either. So, what does all of this mean for us today when when life goes wrong for us and we wonder if God is really with us and if he's with us, where he is and what he's doing? Let me leave you with two simple truths that flow from this story. The first is that God is with us for good even when life goes wrong. God is with us for good even when life goes wrong. At first glance, it didn't look or feel like God was with Joseph as those bad things happened to him. But when we looked again, When we looked in the shadows behind the scenes, we saw that God was was there working behind the scenes. That he was doing something good in Joseph's life so that someday he could do something good for his chosen people and for the wider world. Now, some of you know the end of the Joseph story. I, I won't spoil the whole thing for you. But there comes a moment at the end of the story, 11 chapters from now, When Joseph is standing before his brothers, the brothers who hated him, who who nearly killed him, who sold him into slavery, and he says to them, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I don't know what's happened to you in life or what's happening to you right now but I do know that the God who was with Joseph is with you too he's not just with you he is working with you working with all that's happening in and around you to accomplish his good purpose for your life and for the wider world God is with us for good even when life goes wrong.
The second truth that flows from this story is that sometimes we have to live like God is with us even when it doesn't feel like God is with us. We live like God is with us even when it doesn't feel like God is with us. Remember, from Joseph's perspective, there was very little evidence that God was with him in chapters 37 and 39. I mean, aside from the mysterious dreams, there were no visions, there are no heavenly messengers, there are no prophecies or signs or miracles. We are told that the Lord was with Joseph, but Joseph was never told that, as far as we can tell. For all Joseph knows, he's entirely on his own. And yet throughout the story, except for the foolishness with his brothers, Joseph consistently does what's right and what's good. He obeys his father and goes out looking for his brothers. He serves his master with integrity and, and hard work. He he resists temptation out of loyalty to God. He distinguishes himself in jail by caring for his fellow prisoners. And because of that, God is not only able to bless Joseph, but to bless those around him and to set a mo in, in motion a plan that will one day bless the whole known world. It's as if God and Joseph are silent partners in this cosmic enterprise that is slowly taking shape and will one day save the world. Look at the final verse of the chapter. Because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Gave him success. That's God's part of the partnership. Whatever he did, that's Joseph's part of the partnership. And so sometimes... We live like God is with us, even when it doesn't feel like God is with us. We, we do what's in front of us. We do our jobs. We, we serve our families. We, we fight off temptation. We, we love our neighbors. We forgive those who hurt us. We get up for devotions and spend time with God, even when it's not as satisfying as it we like it to be. We, we worship online, even when we'd rather be worshiping in person together. We, we work for social and racial justice, even when it seems like it's a long time coming. I've said it before at several points along the way this spring, I believe that God is with us even during this pandemic and all that our country is experiencing right now and all that you're experiencing in your personal life. I believe that God will be present to everyone who turns to him and that he can and will do something good with everything that we bring to him. Well, I, I really wanted to end this message with a story. A story that would, that would illustrate the truths that we've been trying to drive home here today, that would help us to understand and believe that, that God is with us for good, even when things go wrong. So I, I searched through my files, I went through my own memory bank, I, 
I even poked around on the internet. I just couldn't come up with the, the right story. But then the Lord brought something to mind, a story to mind that I know well, but had almost completely overlooked. The story of another man who, like Joseph, came into the world with great promise. There were dreams, even, that he was going to do something great for the world. But as with Joseph, those dreams, that destiny, wasn't always understood or well-received by his family. His parents didn't always know what to make of him, and, and his brothers were suspicious of him. But still, his early years were marked by favor and promise. At a certain point, he asserted himself and began to speak into that sense of destiny. And it inspired some people, but it troubled others. Troubled them so much that even though he did much good, even though he resisted all the temptations that might come to a man in his position, people began to conspire against him, looking for ways to get rid of him. And at a certain point, even those closest to him, the people he would call friends, they failed him, handing him over to an angry mob and then abandoning him. He was treated badly by, by people in authority. And he was falsely accused of crimes. And even though he'd done nothing wrong, even though he was tried in one of the judicial systems of the world that was known for its fairness, he was somehow found guilty and sentenced to death, a cruel and humiliating death. And it looked for all the world as though God was nowhere to be found. In fact, at one moment, the man, in his own personal pain, cried out, God, why have you forgotten me? But as it turned out, God had not forgotten him. God was with him through all of it. God was working through all of it. Working to accomplish something good, to fulfill the promise of his birth, and through his life and death to, to save everyone who would turn to him in faith. And so because of that man's obedience, God raised him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every other name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Savior and Lord. What a story, right? Friends, if, if God could be there for Jesus, if God could be there for Joseph, I think it's reasonable to believe that God can be there for us as well. And if he could do something good with all the foolishness and the wickedness and the brokenness that they experienced, I'm pretty sure he can do the same with all that we've experienced as well. So let me invite you today to bring whatever has gone wrong in your life to Jesus. Maybe it's wrong that you have done. Maybe it's wrong that's been done to you. Maybe it's a lifetime of wrong things and you're bringing it to him for the very first time. Maybe it's a particular wrong thing that's just happened recently. Whatever it is, just bring it to Jesus today. And ask him to, to do something good with it. 
Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to heal you. Ask him to give you a fresh start. And once you've done that, then go out and live like he's with you because he is. Now, if you're not quite ready to do that yet, if you need a little more time or information, that's okay. Just, just reach out and let us know. Send me an email, brianatgrace.org. I'd love to get a conversation started. Or you can check out our Alpha course that begins online this week, a great way to ask questions and explore matters of faith. But today, we're going to close our service by celebrating communion together. It's, it's a wonderful opportunity to, to, to bring whatever's on your heart and mind today and, and to bring it to God and ask him to, to do good things with it and in you and through you.